0: together as a group in this gymnasium please help us to just kind of clear our thoughts and our stresses from the week Lord help us to focus solely on you as we worship your name through song and through sermon amen amen Jesus name above all names of all names. As the band and the praise team make their way up here, I want to share with you for just a moment. The next song that we're going to sing is a song that we've sung before. It's not new. It's called Glorious Day, Living You Loved Me. And it's written by Mark Hall and Michael Bleeker. What you may not know is that most of the words of this song were written over 100 years ago by J. Wilbur Chapman and that it appears in hymn books, and it's titled, One Day. Now, some of you may have known that, some of you may not, but what I wanted to let you know is that Mark, he was a part of the group called Casting Crowns, a contemporary Christian group, and he grew up in a church, though, that only sang hymns. That's all they sang. And he wasn't introduced to praise music until he went to college. But Mark noticed something. He noticed that this hymn, One Day, was not being used in the local church. It just was very rare that it was being used. And it was disappointing to him because the words so clearly share the gospel message. So he and Michael wrote a new tune and they added just a few words to it. You see, Mark followed God's prompting and he gave fresh life to older words. And now those words are being sung around the globe. And the gospel is is presented each time it is sung. Now I wanna share with you something that probably most of you do not know. The song that we just sang at the cross, those words were written in 1707 by Isaac Watts. You may have known that part. And it was sung in churches during the years that followed. But what you may not know is that the version that we just sang, it was written 170 years after Watts wrote those words and it was written by Ralph Hudson. And not only did he put Watts' words to new music, he also added some words, a chorus. But then there's Isaac Watts, this gentleman that lived back in the the, uh, late 16 and early 1700s. The music of his day was basically singing the Psalms. Against that norm, and he began to write original poetry and music and set it—the new poetry to that music. He was a rebel by the traditionalists of that day. The point I want to make is this: God tells us in the Psalms, in in Isaiah, and in the Book of Revelation, to either sing a new song, or that we will be singing a new song the actual singing that God is interested in. That verbal expression of love toward our Savior. That is the important part. Part of the definition of worship that I learned in seminary is that worship is communion with God. I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper. That's what a lot of people just think of communion as. But communion is interaction and communication with each other. If you have a spouse and you don't have communion you don't have a very good marriage if you have a child and you don't have communion with them and they don't have communion with you you don't have a very good relationship we need to have communion with God in order to have a good relationship relationship that's an important word around here isn't it? Relationships matter most. Our relationship with each other and our relationship with God It's communion. So the definition says worship is communion with God. It's interaction with God. He speaks to us through his word, and we respond in praise and adoration. And one way we do that is through singing. Jesus told the woman at the well that it's not where we worship, but how. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth. Our worship needs to be spiritual and it needs to be real. It's a heartfelt response to his greatness and his word. So I wanna ask you to sing. It doesn't have to be on pitch. It doesn't have to be loud. And it doesn't have to be necessarily from here, even though that's good, but it does have to be from here sing to god from your heart sing praises to him let's sing it together glorious day one day when Our defender, our savior, our help in time of need. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for what you are doing for us. And thank you for what you're going to do for us. Our life eternal with you. Thank you. May Jesus be magnified. God, from our hearts, we praise you. There's none like you. As your word is opened and preached, we listen to you and will respond in obedience. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, it is children's time. So children, come on down here. Why
1: don't y'all sit right there on that front row. Yeah, you guys got some seats right there. I can sit on the speaker. How's that? Maybe not. I'm glad you guys are here. Is it working out okay to be in the gym? You know, you get to do a lot of fun things in the gym normally, don't you? Is worship a fun thing? I think so, and today I'm going to teach you a new song that Miss Michelle and I wrote. It's a song that you already know, and Mr. Warren is going to help us with that. It's a song that helps us to understand what we're supposed to do as a church, to know each other and to pray for each other. It's a silly song. Have you ever sung Row, Row, Row Your Boat? Yeah, we're going to sing a funny song that has different words. You ready? All right, since I can't sing very well, Mr. Warren's gonna help us. You ready? Let's try it one time. here we go. No, 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 you're rope. each and every
2: one. Take
1: the time to learn their names and pray before you're done. What does that thing tell, what does that silly song tell us? You guys gotta have a different screen than I do. What does it tell us? It tells us to pray about God. Okay, it tells us to pray. Who are we supposed to pray for? God. God. That's what I said. Let's look at those. How many of you can read that? No, 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 your row. What's a row? Is that where you sit with people? Yeah. So, no, 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 all the people on your row, everyone. And then what does it say? take the time to learn their names because knowing someone's name is so important and then when you know their name you can pray for them and say God I really pray that you would help my friend and name their name but i know this isn't real fun for you guys so let's do something fun you ready you know how when you do row 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 your boat you kind of do it in in sections Yeah. Okay, you guys are going to start over here. Are you guys okay the way the chairs are? Feel free to turn them if you need to 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 get a better angle on that. Uh, But we're going to start with you guys, okay? So you're going to do the no, no, no your row, and then it's going to be no, no, no your row, and then all you guys, no, no, no your row, and just work your way through the song. I know you hate this. I understand that. (laughs) But I'm confident you'll never forget it, and I hope that I become an earworm in your brain to learn the names of the people around you and to, and to pray for them. So, Warren, let's go. You're, you're the musician. magician and musician. So, we're going <laughs> to section one, section two, and then all you guys for section three. You ready? Can you help them out? You better right. stand up and let's look at them. Let's, let's help them out.
0: Let's lead the adults. You ready? You ready?
1: Let's, ready? let's
0: start over here. Row, no, no, your row, each and every one.
1: No, 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 your row, each and every one. No, 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 your row, each and, and every one. No, 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 your row, each and every one. Take, no, no, Take the time to learn their names and pray before you're done. Everybody together. No, 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 you're oh, each and every one, take the time to learn their names and pray before you're done. Now,
0: who wants to lead? You want to do it? Nope.
1: Nope. Nope. They, They got it. Now, we're going to do it. You guys have helped our church do something very, very important. So, what I want you to do as a church family now is do just what the song says, is Connect with some of the people around you. Those of you who feel comfortable, don't feel like you've got to do this if you uh, are concerned about getting too close to each other. But would you take just a moment to get someone's name and a voice of prayer. It may be out loud or it may be silently. We're just only going to do this for about a minute. So let's go ahead and do that now. All right, guys, thank you so much. You can go back to your row. Thank you. Thank you. Great job. Great song. It's good to have all of you here, and it's great to see you interacting with one another. And before that slide goes away, just one more time for us as a church family, sometimes it's the silliest, goofiest, weirdest, most bothersome songs that stay in our heads. And I hope that that song will stay in your head as a reminder of what God has called us to do. It's to know one another by name. And to pray for one another. You know, one of the easiest things to do, and I I wish I'd learned this lesson a long time in life, a long time ago in life. You say you're going to pray for someone, it's kind of like you're going to, you know, I'll pray for you sometime. And I have learned over the years the best thing, the best time to pray is right then. Because you may forget but people also like to know that you're praying for them. I want to encourage us as a church family to continue to move out of our comfort zone. I think God's teaching us that just in the way that we've been through this pandemic and where we are now sitting here in the gym. And it's so easy for us to say, I don't do that. I I don't pray out loud. There was probably a time when you didn't brush your teeth either. But you learned to do it. And so I hope that we as a church will move out of our comfort zone and say, I want to be more of what God wants, more than just comfortable. Well, today we continue in the great interruption, and we ask the question, what's next, as we come to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. What's next is one of the most common questions we ask, even though we may not recognize it consciously. We want to know, what's next, with the weather when we get up? What will our next meal be? What needs to be done next? And what's going to happen next in my life? Knowing what's next is very important. Can you imagine waking up and not knowing what to do next? Could you imagine getting in your car and not knowing what to do next? Knowing what's next is important, and Jesus understands that. We are now in the final hours of Jesus' life. And they're so significant that John devotes roughly a quarter of his gospel to these final hours in which Jesus is talking with his disciples. He knows that they're unsettled. Some of you are very unsettled today. You live with uncertainty, disappointment, disillusionment, change, frustration. And Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 1, stop letting your hearts be troubled. And You look in your translation, it says, no, mine says, do not let your hearts be troubled. But in the original language, Jesus is understanding the troubled hearts that his disciples have, and he says to them, stop being troubled in your heart. He understands the need for us to know what is next, and so in their troubled experience, he begins to tell them, if you believe in me, if you believe in God, believe also in me. It's a fact. You believe in God. I am God. So believe in me, and then he begins to tell them what's next. These are verses in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, that we oftentimes hear at funerals. One of the reasons they're read at funerals is because knowing what's next offers hope for the future and strength for the present. We read passages of Scripture like this in times of overwhelming grief because people need hope for the future. They need strength for the present. And when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he knew that he was about to go to the cross. Before the sun rose, he would already be incarcerated and on the pathway to Calvary. He knew the disciples needed to know what's next because then it would give them hope for the future and strength for the present. I dare say some of us here today need that very thing. Hope for the future, strength for the present. Curiously, I would like to know how many of you get to the airport to catch a flight several hours before the flight? Okay. How many of you get there within two or three minutes of them closing the gate? Yeah. Used to be there but not anymore. We took a family vacation many years ago to ski in Breckenridge. Up until that point in my life, I took great pride in getting on the plane just in time. We came back from Breckenridge with everything timed just the way that we needed. And when we pulled in to the rental car place, I don't know if you've ever been over the Ship Channel Bridge in Houston, and you see that massive lot of cars there? That's what it looked like. We were about two or three days back in the line before they would get to our car. To make a long story a little bit shorter, we got to the airport. And all four of us in our family were in a full sprint to the, air, to the plane. We're not talking about walking fast. We're not talking about being on the cart we're talking about a full-blown sprint. When we got there, they were just about to close the, the, the gate into the plane. And so when we sat down, we all began to laugh and make a commitment that we would never do that again. When you're running through the airport, you have a fear of missing the plane. The disciples feared that they were going to miss the plane. And Jesus said, I want to tell you now what's going to happen next so you can find greater comfort in the moment. If we had known that we were going to make the plane, even though we were running, it wouldn't have been as stressful. Some of us even now in the experiences that we have are very stressed out because we don't know the outcome. And Jesus is trying to say, the outcome is, I will be with you, and number two, you ultimately will be with me in all of eternity. In his best selling new book, Adam Grant, think again, writes about the overview effect. The overview effect was coined in 1987 by Frank White. It was a new phenomenon experienced by astronauts, in which they would go up in space and they would look back at the Earth. And on Earth, just like right now, we look around and we see so many particulars, specifics, individual things. But from space, when you look down, you see it as a whole. You see the big picture. And what they found were astronauts were coming back from space with a renewed perspective on life. Not just about space exploration, but because they saw the big picture of life, it literally changed who they were. Many times we are so focused on what matters most in the silo that we inhabit that we lose sight of the big picture. And here is Jesus giving us the big picture in John chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. He says, "My Father's in my father's house, there are many rooms. What does that mean? You remember the song, Mansion Over the Hilltop? I'm not going to make you sing that one either, but or in rounds or anything like that but that's a very familiar thought is that Jesus has promised us a mansion in heaven somewhere and that song basically with false humility says I'm not good enough to be close to God so I just want a mansion over the hilltop I'm not sure why they think they deserve a mansion but nonetheless it's the idea that we will be spaced out some of us will We'll live in the inner city of heaven, but most of us will live in the suburbs or out in the country. But Jesus says here, My father's house has many rooms, many abiding places. You go back to the, the original context of the culture, and whenever a bridegroom was betrothed to his his fiancee, the one that he would marry. There would be a waiting period in which he would go back to his father's house where he lived, and he would build an extension to the house, and when that was all ready, he would go and receive his bride. And Jesus is saying, in my father's house are many rooms, not many places in heaven. He is saying, you will come and you will live and be with me. When, when, what comes to your mind when you think about heaven? What are the thoughts that come to your mind? Streets of gold. Crystal sea. Perfection. Lots of light. Do you have an intense desire to go to heaven right now? If we were to say that we're going to line up a bus in the parking lot after the service and everybody in the bus will go to heaven today, how many of you would board the bus? Some of you hate your life so much, you'd be right on the the first one on. But for most of us, quite honestly, as much as we know that heaven is good, we're not anxious to go right now. And when the disciples are looking at the situation, they're wanting to know where. What's the location of heaven? And Jesus is talking about a destination. A few weeks ago, I shared the experience of being with my father when he passed. And many of you have been in that experience. I've been with countless, peoples, countless people when they died. And you wonder where? Where is heaven? What's the location? And Jesus says it's not a location. It's a, it's a destination with the father. My son-in-law was preaching at a Disciple Now once and he said something that really struck me. We think of heaven as a perfect place. But too often times we don't recall that it's perfect because Jesus is there. Would we be interested in going to heaven if it was perfect but Jesus wasn't there? The reason heaven is heaven is because of God being there. I recently read an interesting statistic that said that you could take the entire world's population and you could put them in the state of Texas, which it appears that people are trying to do now, but you could take the entire population of the world and put it in Texas if we lived as densely as they do in New York City. That's a lot of people. How big is heaven? Well, in Revelation chapter 21 verse 16, it gives us dimensions that seem to indicate that heaven just by what it says in scripture is more than half the size of the United States. Yet it's not spread out, we're all in the Father's house. So what Jesus wants us to see is what's next is more important about understanding who's next. We need to have a clear understanding about who's next. Jesus. Thomas gets into a conversation with Jesus, and what you'll find here in in the situation with Jesus speaking to his disciples as he's talking, doing most of the talking, but yet there's some interruptions with his disciples. And Jesus has said, I am the way, You know the way that I'm going. In verse 5, Thomas comes back and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Again, there's that location versus a destination of being with God. It's more important for us to understand who's next. That's why Jesus would say, Thomas asked, Where? Jesus says, I am. This is the sixth I am statement in the Gospel of John, which he's identifying himself as God. And he says, I am the way. For you to come into the very presence of God, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Even that mention of the way in the early church, that was one of the designations for the Christian church. They were identified as The way, because they believe that Jesus was the way. This last month, we saw two billionaires go up into the fringes of space, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos. That all reminded us of the the kickstart to the the new adventure to go to the moon once again. Reminded me of Apollo 13, 50th anniversary a year ago, April 2020, as the pandemic was really beginning to take off. That was the 50th anniversary of what was identified as a successful failure by flight director Gene Kranz. You recall that they were 55 hours into their flight in which the oxygen tank exploded and all of a sudden the voyage to the moon completely changed. It was Jack Swigert, the astronaut, who stated, Houston, we've had a problem. Mission Control couldn't understand what he said, so Commander Jim Lovell repeated it, Houston, we've had a problem. That phrase was slightly modified in Ron Howard's 1995 epic movie about it. It's become a catchphrase for Crisis Houston, we have a problem. You know, before the oxygen tank exploded two thirds of the way to the moon, the odds of the crew having a successful flight were 50 50. Can you imagine that? They had a 50 50 chance of coming back alive. After the explosion, those odds. In their time of desperation, they didn't call out for Paris or Rio or Sydney or Hong Kong. Houston was their only lifeline, so they stated their problem, and they depended upon Houston's mission control to bring them home safely. See, we have a problem far worse than an oxygen tank exploding exploding on a flight to the moon. Sin. And our only hope for the remedy to be saved is through Christ. And Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the presence of God, heaven, except through me. Peter would reiterate that in Acts chapter 4, verse 12 which he would remind the religious leaders there's no other name by which we must be saved except through Jesus Christ. Are you ready for what's next? Are you ready for what comes next? I heard many years ago a strategy that I've tried to use on a couple of different occasions of walking with someone through what's next. You find somebody that's so excited about their future ahead as they're preparing to graduate from college, and you say, man, that's exciting. What's next? And they say, well, I'm going to graduate, and I'm going to get a great job. Well, oh, that's wonderful. I hope it all works out. And then what? Well, then I'll, then I'll probably get married. Man, that's great. I hope you find just the right one. And then what? What's next? Uh, well, then we'll, we'll raise some kids. Man, that is great. Good idea. I hope you raise some wonderful kids. Then what's next? Uh, I, I, I guess I'll retire. Man, I'll tell you what. Won't that be fun to be able to retire and do what, whatever you want? And then what? What's next? Uh, well, I guess I'll travel and See some things we've always wanted to see. Oh man, that sounds great! And then what's next? Um, Well, uh, I guess I'll I guess I'll move into one of those assisted living things. Yeah, man, I hear you. I'm getting old too, and I'm I'm hoping that you find a great spot where they'll come and mow your yard and do all that stuff for you. Of course, that's where I live already. I already have somebody mow my lawn. And then you say, and then what's next? And I say, ah. well, I guess I die. Yeah, yeah, that's true, man. We are, we're all going to die. Isn't that something? We're all going to die. And, and then what's next? Um, what's next? Uh, I, I guess I'll go to heaven. Hope so. What's next? Are you ready for what's next? We spend so much of our time focused on what's next right now but are we ready for the big what's next and who's next and all of that should impact the way that we live our lives today does what's next the fact that we will all enter into eternity to be in the presence of God or to be banished from his presence does that impact the way that you live your life and does who's next, knowing that we will all stand before a holy God and give account of our one and only life, do those two dynamics of knowing that this life is temporary but is permanent in eternity and that we will stand before almighty God, does that impact the way that you live? might be time for some of us to make some changes. This week, if you're a baseball fan, you know that it's the second half of the Atlantic League, and you might think, well, that's not very significant to me. But what's happening in the Atlantic League is very significant for baseball fans everywhere. The Atlantic League is an affiliate of the Major League Baseball, even though it's an independent minor league. It's a proving ground for any changes in the rules of the game. And on Tuesday, they're bringing one of the biggest rule changes ever. Beginning on Tuesday, August the 3rd, pitchers in the Atlantic League will start pitching from a foot further back from home plate. Those of you that follow baseball, you know that the standard is 60 feet 6 inches. But the reason they want to move it back is because the average fastball in Major League Baseball is approaching 95 miles an hour. And nearly one-fourth of the at-bats are now strikeouts. There's a 15-year trend of increasing strikeouts. And so the idea is if they move it back a little bit, the ball will appear to slow down about two miles an hour. Now, for a lot of you, you don't care about baseball. But I want you to hear in that little story of a current event is they've been pitching for 60 feet and 60 inches for 128 years that's a long time established in 1893 how does that relate to us maybe there's some patterns behaviors or habits we've been doing for a long long time and God is saying I want you to let me now is the time to change To let go of that anger. To let go of that addiction. To let go of that stronghold in your life. You notice down here that Jesus says in verse 12, if you believe in me, you will do even greater works than these. He's talking about the scope of what God wants to do through us. You think about the greatness of what God has done? He wants to do even greater things through us in scope and magnitude of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. He wants to bring about redemptive change. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for change in your life? You know, God loves every one of us. He's created us to have a relationship with him. Sin separates us from having a relationship with God. But as Jesus explains here in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly repent, turn away from our sins, and surrender our life completely to Jesus Christ. And that's how we become a Christian. But that's the starting point. Jesus wants to continue to bring about transformation in our lives. And he has said, listen, it's all going to work out if you trust in me. I want to give you hope for the future and strength for the present, but the only way you will find it is in me. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I hope that you will join me in a prayer in just a moment. And if you already have trusted Jesus Christ, I hope that you will use that same faith that you used to trust him as your Savior to allow him to be Lord, to bring about changes that he might want in your life. Let's pray together. God, we're reminded of these words that you gave us in the closing hours of your earthly ministry and life. So significant that John made sure that we would have him in your holy word. As we read through, we are reminded of this hope for the future that you give us, this reminder that we are safe and secure with you. But without you, we are helpless and hopeless. So if anyone listening today has never received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, your word this morning has reminded us of the change that you want to bring, the fact that you are God Almighty. When you say, I am, you are saying, I am the only hope that anyone has. And God, that hope, your hope, can break those strongholds in our lives. Can allow us to change and be different. Oh, Father, forgive us if we're the same person that we were 10 years ago. Same person we were two weeks ago. May each and every day be an experience of seeing that your mercies are new and fresh every day and that your work in our life will be fresh. Give us fresh and new stories of transformation, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. As we prepare to sing this last song in worship, if you would like someone to visit with you, In a more private setting, and we can talk further, just text Westgate to 94000. Put your name in there and we'll get in touch with you. Obviously, you can speak to anyone in your row because you know them all now, right? They can talk with you and pray with you. Likewise, the staff will be standing around the exits and you can visit with us or you can just let us know that you would like to spend some more time. Maybe you wanna follow through in your commitment to Christ and to be baptized. You know, we haven't figured out how we're gonna do that in the gym. But we'll figure it out. And maybe you want to join this church. You say, you guys look like a a motley crew. You can't even get the same chairs in the same room facing in the same direction. But but I think I'd kind of like to join that church. We'd love to have you. You can visit with us or text us at that number. So let's stand together as a church family and let's worship and continue to invite God to, to change us.
2: and that.
3: for being here this morning especially if you're a guest here with us today we want to say uh, welcome to you thank you for joining us for worship here at westgate memorial baptist church don't forget our in-home bible studies wrap up tonight it's not too late to get one in and uh, so if you have yet not yet been a part of that uh, you can uh, be a part of one of the in-home bible studies uh, tonight as uh, those wrap up and then make sure you grab a, uh, a bulletin sheet. Uh, it's starting to announce all of the things that will be coming up uh, in the fall. We'll be launching uh, our fall activities on August the 25th, which means, yes, children, the time is ticking down of your summer days. And uh, so your parents are rejoicing. You are weeping. But, uh, uh, so, but uh, be, be, be paying attention and watching for uh, everything that will be taking place Uh, This fall. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless and have a great afternoon.